How is everybody doing? Welcome back for another Strength Chat episode. And today I've got a very special guest for you. Today I'm joined by a strength rehab professional, some of the world's most elite athletes, as well as being a pretty a pretty impressive powerlifter himself. A little bit of alliteration there. Today I'm joined by the one and only Dr. Andrew Locke. How are you doing? Super, Steve. How else could I be? But great to be here, man. Yeah. Speaking to the other side of the world on a fine evening over in Melbourne here for a change <laughs> yeah uh thanks a lot for taking the time to jump on and uh yeah really looking forward to diving into it to a couple of topics for you um but how are you what have you been up to what's been going on in your world oh man so busy because um i get to run workshops with australian strength coach sebastian orb um i fly to sydney in the next couple of days to do those and we fly to melbourne then we've got to fly the other side of the country to perth and then we're back to the gold coast and doing some workshops with uh, Danny Antonellis with our other business, United Health Education. So we're doing our glutes, ultimate glute toolkit uh, workshops. And at the moment, really writing up a lot of work because Sebastian and myself are looking to uh, update our workshops. And I've discovered a lot of things that have been missing in spine work for everybody over all the years. So it's about time to um, unleash the real truth about <laughs> spine rehab for truly good strength athletes as well as everybody else oh cool um obviously we've um especially being in melbourne with the lockdown over the over the last year and everything and getting back to seminars um are things pretty much back to normal then and you know how have you been getting on with you know work and training and uh, you know everything over the over the last year or so because it must have been a little bit well like for everyone it must have been uh, you know pretty disruptive <laughs> uh, not in the not in the slightest man i thought <laughs> i'd put a new supercharger on the car fantastic 750 horsepower at the moment uh i was able to do a lot more training because i've got a whole lot of equipment anyway nice and most of my work is actually online anyway so i might be a pro raw gym down there in doncaster in melbourne yeah. but i'll be in the office talking to argentina africa uk even had someone in antarctica once <laughs> so my day is filled with patients all around the world yeah. and it's really easy to diagnose a problem and fix a back problem if you know what you're looking for so it's as good as having them in the room as a as a professional as a so-called physiotherapist i never put my hands on anybody i haven't done that for years i fix movement problems i've solved why you got a problem i'm not there to treat your symptoms i'm there to fix your problem and give you a solution so i can do that over the internet oh, once you know what you're looking for you can't miss it yeah. Oh, cool. And with the, obviously you mentioned that you, you're doing seminars now. I know we've um, obviously followed quite a lot of uh, what Sebastian, you know, Orab does and has, has done his, obviously he's put courses online and everything. Um, is there a, is there a thought process to maybe put some of the seminars online? Cause I, I remember he, the, there was some, I obviously see that the, um, you're doing um, seminars with him and sometimes it's like, mm, can I get over to Australia? Is there going to be flights over there? But is there a thought process to put a little bit more um, online with the with the work that you're doing um, like that? Well, pretty much everything is going to have some aspect of being online anyway. So whether it's the education for trainers, individuals, or even top professionals, I've got a great fellow over there in the UK called Joel Proskowitz. Joel's a great McGill gra um, graduate. Well, Joel and myself are actually thinking of doing a bit of a webinar combining the two sides of the world anything's available so the information is going to be out there for people to become stronger more resilient solve the problems that they've had for years usually with pretty simple solutions 
you can empower people pretty well. As long as you give them the information, you'll find people get better. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, so the rule so always is, you got to do the work, not me. I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> it's up to you to do it. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I always tell my patients that. Yeah, what's that? What's that phrase? Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Give a man a fishing rod, and he'll he'll learn how to eat for you know however long. <laughs> Absolutely. And if your professional happens to sell you fish every day, he's making money, and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, did a little bit of a um, you know what what you're currently doing. But for everyone listening who might not know your background, how you got involved in you know the rehab, you know physio physiotherapy side of things, and obviously you know your own training and, and competing in, in in strength sports. Just want to give a little bit of a background to yourself. Oh, a little bit of background. Yeah, for those people who have been living under a rock and would never clue who I am. <laughs> Okay, so let's see. I started a long time ago. My parents threw my football boots away and said I was probably going to hurt somebody, so they made me play baseball. It just so happened I played pretty good at baseball and ended up representing Australia overseas as the um, in the inaugural Junior World Series. Uh, I was also the opening bowler for the Australian All High School Cricket Team. So I had a fair bit of sporting background. Unfortunately, around about 1980, I saw a magazine with Arnold Schwarzenegger on the cover and figured, okay, I'm going to be the, do the next Conan the Barbarian movie instead. That didn't quite work out. And so I decided I'd better stick at uni. And basically I started heading towards physiotherapy. Money because as an athlete, I was always seeing physiotherapists for some form of uh, repetitive injury that I'd be doing. You know, you're throwing a ball a thousand times a week as a young athlete, you're going to get certain problems occur. So then I tended towards enjoying the fact that there was people out there who are helping other people and somewhere within me, I like helping people. Um, another career I was heading towards while I was at university, I was scouted to actually um, join the, what was in the World Wrestling Federation scouting crew. I was you know, a fairly large guy with long blonde hair down my ass and I got over to California after graduating and um, one of the great wrestlers said I was he was going to name me Thor at that time because I had the, the look going. <laughs> I had long blonde hair, not just a mohawk then. But uh, when I was studying for my US um, physiotherapy exams as well, because you've got to get licensed over there, I hurt my back. The fun thing about it is when I pissed off my back, I got the MRI and I took it to the surgeon to have a look at it. And the surgeon started wiping the scan because he thought somebody had sneezed on that scan. Dude, that wasn't sneezing. That was what was left of my disc. I blew that thing up like nothing else. <laughs> right. Now, back at that time, your options are pretty limited. Get a fusion. Well, you know, I didn't have time. So it took me two years to recover fully that I could actually walk again properly. But being a bit of a stubborn sort of body image person, I was training everything else anyway. It doesn't matter if you're back shit. You can still train your upper body some days. You can still train your biceps. You're, you learn to work around things. Now, if the same injury had happened to me today, I would accept the fact that I would go in for a micro discectomy tomorrow and I'd be back training within a couple of weeks. Things have changed. But the good thing about that, that's the famous thing as the great Professor McGill says, this is a gift of injury. So for me going through it, I had to learn a lot. And doing things myself is I know what the patients are going to go through. I know how I cause my problem. I know how they cause their problems too. I know what the solutions to them are. So I look at it, we say everything that comes at us, it's a gift if you want it to be. It depends upon your perspective. And yep, as a result, I graduated in physiotherapy and realized that there wasn't a therapist in the country who knew how to bench press, squat or deadlift. Hmm, all right. 
so that started my revolution where I was seeing people who here I was a new graduate and I was getting people sent to me because they had problems with their deadlifts and their squats and their bench press and no one else knew anything about it well figure that a bit over 20 something years later and I still learn more every day imagine how much I actually do know <laughs> all right so yeah spine work and shoulder work was where I began life a good one is and this is a professional advice to anyone the first day I graduated from university, I went and worked at an eminent sports clinic. Now, everyone else who graduated had to go into the hospital system, but I got picked up because I had a sporting position of some eminence. All right, and I was actually um, designing a throwing program for the Australian Test Cricket Team at that time. Now, the boss who ran the, the clinic, she took me aside and said, your job to be here is to become the best of the world at something. And she goes, and I'm the best in the world at shoulders, so you better choose something else. <laughs> All right. And that's the sort of advice I give to young professionals. Now you've graduated, become the best in the world at something. And it might not just be a body part. It might be a rehab movement. Learn about squatting better than anyone else on, on the planet. You'll become an especially good resource. You'll become a, a good professional. You'll love your work. You're going to pay your dues on the way. You won't get to do everything you want, but give your focus to that attention of that subject. Learn what a deadlift is. If a Turkish get-up, I don't care. But become excellent at something. And that's what I spent my time doing. That's why here I am. Yeah, shit, I set a bench press, you know, master's world record. Hmm, dude, I don't have shoulder pain. I don't, I don't tear things. Just wait till tomorrow. <laughs> We've... With that, and uh, I know we, we chatted a little bit at the, before we started recording about going on a tangent, but um, just in terms of the world of, 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 of um, uh, you know, rehab and, uh, you know, uh, physiotherapy, do you think sometimes that's where um, there's a little bit of a downfall of physios and rehab specialists not, you know, competing in a sport? Or, well, not necessarily competing, but, you know, training and having that, you know, experience of actually time in the gym compared to people who are, you know not used to that and don't maybe understand you know what's going on downfall i reckon it's a fucking black hole it's a, <laughs> dude it's a void if you don't understand it how the hell can you can you treat it yeah, yeah that's a here you are straight to it but there are so many professionals now who actually have graduated who love our sports of lifting sports our strength sports our powerlifters our strongmen our crossfitters our olympic lifters there are professionals who are graduating today who are young people who have been these sports already and they're graduating with a love of it. So yeah, what wasn't there 20 years ago, it's coming. We're getting professionals who are hungry and who know that this is the key to good living, better living through strength as a great Chris Duffin would say, you know, got to always remember that better living through strength. And that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You see a professional and they want to talk to you about a squat and how often this has happened that someone goes to see the surgeon, he goes, Okay, you can't squat anymore. You go, oh, you really? What? Front squat, back squat, box squat? Um, which squat have you got a problem with? <laughs> yeah, yeah, chances are he hasn't got a clue what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, I think that is that that is a um, you know a good way a good way to think and 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 look at it because you know I've had um, clients that have gone to physios and there's a stark contrast between some physios who don't have a trade. Okay, right, you've got to lie down, not move for 14 days. 
this is yeah and then and then that's going to be it. rather than because I, I am a sort of a big believer in focus on what they can do exactly like what you said about you about your back you can still train upper body you can still do something um and yeah. and, work, and work around it you know within, within reason so you're not you know you're not going crazy but you know you, there is there is still certain things certain things you can do well there's a really interesting observation that i made and i do let my clients know this about the idea of rest have you ever noticed if you've got a flat tire on your car and you drive it home and you park it out the front of your house that night in the morning when you wake up the damn thing is still flat nothing has changed you've rested you've done nothing so all you've done you're in the same place you were last night well that's freaking useless so rest is out i have i've had a couple of interesting ones um and even having a bit with sebastian as well when we were, we were training one day and he got a bit, bit of a chest tweak all right 20 minutes later we're back doing bench work we're back rehabbing got a pec tear okay how fast can you get that bar back in your hands this is what you got to do oh yeah if you do a full avulsion you're having surgery it's a different situation but if you haven't had surgery then you start to need to move that part in some form of reasonable load and that's what your professional is there to guide you with so yeah you got a problem. We better start your solution today. Yeah, I think uh, I, I might. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna jot down that uh, uh, quote that you did there about a car being parked outside. I quite. Uh, I quite like that one. That's a, a good way. A good way of looking at it. Um, and that sort of goes nicely on to the the topics that I had in mind. Obviously, you've mentioned there about injuries and within the world of you know strength sports i know sometimes when people first come into the gym or are first looking to you know okay you've got a reasonable reasonable about an uh, amount of strength you know what about what about a competition whether it's weightlifting powerlifting strongman or anything like that yeah. um i just kind of wanted to uh, you know hear your thoughts and how you work with you know how common are actually injuries within you know strength strength sports and you know what are the uh, what are the main causes because actually i think when you know we start diving into strength we've obviously you know said there that strength training rehab is is is, re is really important but there's still one side of it you're like oh no that might be you know a little bit too heavy or a little bit too, too dangerous so yeah what are sort of the common injuries and what have you found to be the, the main the main causes uh, when it comes to strength training shit technique <laughs> let's start where it comes and this is a really good way you put it there the young person comes into the gym and they're strong and they got shit technique well how often have we seen it there's a coach i know who likes to tell everybody that when he was 19 he deadlifted 300 kilos he's 40 a bit more now what's the most he ever lifted that was that 300 kilos. Now, what sort of coach are you? If you take a 19-year-old 300-kilo deadlifter and by the age of 40, you've turned him into somebody who only ever lifted that once, you're a shit strength coach, okay? What's the problem? The ego there is I use that technique to get it up, so I'm going to stick with that technique and I'm going to keep getting more injured all the time because that's how I did it. That's exactly what we see in the strength sports. Yeah, you got some strength. But just wait. Your technique's crap, you'll get it eventually. Look at all the great people who have survived for decades, who are awesome in the sport, who we look to. Ah, they're on the highlights reel for good technique. There is none of it. You don't look at Cohen, Kazmaier, anyone like that, and they've got bad technique. 
They're the freaking examples. And why is that? Their careers are huge because they do it so well. I actually said that to Ed Cohen about his technique when I first met him. I said, you know, your, your squat technique is absolutely stunning. He goes, yeah, pretty much how I walked into the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Ed had it and Ed had great technique. And then he started to understand it so much more. So technique is unnegotiable. And um, there's a great bench press coach here in Australia called Ange Galati. Ange has certainly set a lot of records, more than we could possibly count. Now, I trained at Ange quite a bit over the years, and he's never failed a rep in about 20 years in the gym. Never missed a single rep. Doesn't miss a rep. If you, get, if you miss a rep in his gym, you will be called a dickhead. <laughs> okay, straight down the line. That's it. Technique is unnegotiable. You train for success. Ed Cohen's a bit that way too. He doesn't want you to do a bad rep. Hey, as he said, if, you, if you're supposed to do 10, but you did eight really well, and the next one's going to be shit, stop there. That's where it goes. That's rehab as well. Excellence in performance is rehab. So when we're coming back to the basics of, you know, technique is everything. Sure, you might be strong, but if your technique's crap, let's fix up your technique and you're going to have a great long career. Maybe you don't want a long career. Maybe you just want to be a shooting star once. That's cool. That's your job. That's your business. But if you want to get into the long run, well, time to tidy up the technique, start to understand more, have a great coach who understands it, then you'll be good. But I don't like, even Professor McGill, I think really puts this well, is you don't want to see the housewife who comes into the gym, starts deadlifting, and someone has her in a comp in a year's time, you know, trying to max deadlift. Your chances of fracture of your spine are pretty reasonable at that point. Because of a thing a bit called Wolf's Law, it's about bone adaptation. Now, when you put weight onto a bone, it has to adapt to it. But the end plates of the bones, which are what sit above your discs, they're pretty plastic. That's where your nutrients come through. Well, they have a bit of time to catch up to be able to come a little bit denser and stronger as well. One of the other sides of great weight training is uh, your nutrient transport is going to be decreased to your disc because your end plates are going to get harder pay off, makes you survive too. So you go chuck a lady who's um, never really trained very much, she's pretty strong, and you take her to her first comp, you hear them, you hear those back injuries coming where they've popped the end plate, end plate fractures. I have a bit of a rule, I don't like to see anyone compete trying or trying maxes in the gym within at least a year. And it was funny enough, I think Ed Cohen sort of said, it takes about three years, he reckons, to get your technique to a truly good level. Yeah. No, we've got to start to respect the process. It's not all coming to you today. Yeah, yeah, right, definitely. So the w- one thing just on there, obviously, you said about um, you know having not competed before, and just on just on the side of that, obviously, you see um, you know with the junior world championships in in powerlifting, and you see you know guys and 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 women at the international level, at, at, at junior level, who have really good technique. But um, when you when you mentioned there, obviously, you know, you can go too fast and, you know, your, your body needs to catch up a little bit. What are your thoughts on sort of the, uh, on progressing too fast and your body catching up a, 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 a little bit more? Is there a way of sort of, you know, if you've been a junior powerlifter and you've got to the international level to slow it down a little bit or, you know, is it working on... Uh, other areas to make you a little bit more robust, if you like. Oh, there's some real, sense. there's some really great science underpinning this. When you happen to be a little bit younger, you're very much more flexible and bouncy. When you hit the masters, you don't bounce. You haven't got that collagen left. It's there, but it's stiffer. 
Now, when a human being lifts as a hunter-gatherer, we spent 400,000 years as homo sapiens, right? Now, one of the things about survival is decreasing calorie expenditure and movement. So one of the ways to decrease calorie expenditure is to turn your muscles off. When you bend forward to pick something up off the ground, your muscles actually turn off and you use the elastic in your spine to actually get to the bottom and then it starts to bounce you up and your muscles catch up again. It's actually passive elastic recoil. Well, that's one of the reasons we often get hurting to the end of range of flexion in the 21st century is we've got a hunter-gatherer movement pattern, but it's imposed upon a sedentary 21st century sitting body. There's a lot of things here which we can avoid and prevent back pain. So your young lifter who has this wonderful passive elastic recoil that comes out of there, especially the long thoracic extensors and the erector spiny there, that you can load beautifully because it's fresh and it's not going to pop that easy. Although you'll get the 16-year-old who pops it. Sorry, your genetics are a bit shit. <laughs> Them's the brakes. All right. But that technique will not last forever because the collagen begins to get, get a little bit stiffer. You grow a bit more muscle. Things change. Suddenly, you don't have that same passive elastic recoil. And your technique will change. Your technique will change to put on more muscle. These are things to be aware of. So when we see people who perhaps are using that, what I call it, that elastic fishing rod technique in deadlifting where they go like that suddenly in their back, you can see the young one will get away with it for a while. But there's a whole bunch of 18 and 19 year olds I'll still see as patients. Yeah. But you won't see that in the older lifters because I'll just do it a couple of times and then they'll be um, stuffed because they don't have that same resiliency anymore. Things change with time. And that's what I do. I recognize that. It's always dependent upon the person's goals and outcomes. You know, if you're a month out from the world championships and you've got a technique that looks like a fishing rod, I'm not going to change it. <laughs> I'll see you after the world championships. Yeah. And then we can plan for what your next level should be. Now, I'm not going to stop somebody who's not in pain, who has a technique floor close to a comp. We're going to discuss what we might have to do afterwards and perhaps some of the things we can do to minimise the danger of pissing it off. But that's basically it. Yeah. I think when it's, it's good when you're saying there and, and use that example of because, you know, there's a time and a place to um, change things or improve things. But, yeah, if they're only a couple of weeks out from a competition, um, yeah, I always think, especially coming from a uh, like a rugby background, yeah, the night before a game, you're not going to you're not going to change tactics completely and, and do, do anything different from there. But, yeah, when, when we're saying about technique is going to change over time um you know i am of the thought process that you know if you do the same thing over and over and over again and you know you're not improving right then you know you, you you're just you know smashing your head against a brick wall sometimes you need to change with it and um yeah it's interesting saying there actually the reason behind you know while your technique at an 18 19 year old compared to you know when you're a little bit older that you know you, you, your body's changing with, with with that as well which um yeah makes quite a lot of sense and the thought process that in, i in my head you've sort of like you know put the dots together there which is uh, which is good um yeah have a look at a few have a look at a few highlights of say some of the junior champions and have a look at some of the highlights of the masters championships and have a look at the techniques i think it's a great little study to do yeah and don't tell me and the thing is the people says yeah but you did it with that technique yeah that's right at that age you did yeah, yeah. that's cool 
yeah, that's okay. As long as we understand the process and I can help you avoid, minimize your risk of injury, that's cool. We can work with that. Yeah. Everyone's not the same at the same point. Everything's a bit of a skill to an understanding assessment. Yeah. yeah it, and that analogy of the, um, the concept of the flat tire concept, that's often what happens with injuries. People will come and see me eventually after, you know, they've hurt themselves for the 10th or 20th time. And then they have seen a professional that says, oh, they got me out of pain. I felt back better. Then I did it again. They, I see them. They fixed me up. And they're going, yeah, you're doing the same thing every time, aren't you? You sort of don't see it. You feel better. So you haven't fixed up the cause. So perhaps that's what we do this time. I always say people don't have back problems. They have back solutions. It's their back that is their best worker. And here's another one for you. If you've got a factory with four workers in it, and they all drive to work in the morning and clock on. Then two of them get back down the car and head off down the beach, leaving two to do all the work all day. Who's going to complain about that in a month's time? <laughs> the ones at the beach or the ones who are working? <laughs> yeah, your best workers are complaining. So what are you going to do? Beat them harder because it's their fault they're complaining? That's the common thing about back problem problems, treatment, is people are treating backs like they're the problem. It's not your freaking back that's your problem. Your back's your hardest worker. Your back is your solution. Your problem is what's not working. All right, get the guys back from the beach. Ah, oh, shit, I feel better now. We've got four workers working. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's commonly where I really try and bring education. You've got weaknesses and you've got strengths. You're, you're blaming your strengths, not your weaknesses. Yeah, I think that's a that, that's a good way to look at it. And, you know, I always, um, especially over the um, uh, the last year or so, especially with, you know, a lot of my lifters um, picking up little niggles or, or injuries and, you know, for my own, uh, I always want to have a, you know, a better understanding. You know, I'm not going to all of a sudden turn around and be like, say, I know everything within this area, but especially if they've gone to uh, a physio and, you know, they're, they're speaking to me, I want to have an understanding. So if I am speaking to the physios, I can, I can actually have a conversation with them. And yeah, nine times out of 10, it isn't always uh, where the area of, of pain is. Usually it's something around there. And, you know, how I always explain it to, you know, my lifters and clients is that, you know, all your muscles and everything in your body, your mates, they all should, they all should, you know, working to get working together. And if one, some of them have fallen out, we need to try, we need to try and get them back together. So, um, yeah, I think that's Beautiful. it. And I think, I think that's a, a you know a misconception that a lot a lot of people have that if your back's hurting, right, what what else is working around there? And that kind of goes on to because obviously we've spoken about technique, and I know technique can change, but you know within um, strength sports, you kind of see um, some of the. Uh, common areas that sort of get niggles i know you've mentioned there about you know uh, bench pressing but um you know how to look after your shoulders you're not going to get shoulder pain a lot of people will talk about back pain or knee pain are these mm. the common areas that people um or, or lifters neglect or like what you mentioned there they do the same thing to try and you know put a put a, a, bit, a bit of tape over it but then that tape rips off and then they've got to go back to it again do you find the common there's common injuries and people are doing the same things whereas actually they're not maybe looking at other areas so they don't get knee pain or back pain or shoulder pain oh, about 99 percent of the time you've just said the right thing <laughs> absolutely human beings are totally predictable i know you got muscles i got the same muscles you got we got the same nervous system okay we're basically going to go wrong in the same patterns there's an interesting thing, arthrogenic 
Well, I think we call the best way to say is um, we really would say the sort of take away from the jargon is this joint inhibition that comes from dysfunction. So we call it arthrogenic inhibition, neuromuscular. Now, what happens quite often here is that, and this is where there's a bit of a problem with this thing called pain science, which is a total waste of time until you are a freaking uh, Jedi master, because you better know your biomechanics before you move into that area, is that we've demonstrated that joints give us feedback. Unconsciously, we're getting feedback from joints about our body. It's a proprioception. Now, if there's a dysfunction in the joint, you may not have to feel pain, but it will inhibit muscle groups. A typical thing is it inhibits the extensor muscle groups. So if you've got an irritated hip joint that you don't know about, because you don't have to be conscious of it to, for the feedback to the body to be occurring, then you're going to have inhibited extensors. That's your glutes. You'll have facilitated flexors. That's your hip flexors. That's going to move your femoral head forward in the hip socket. That's going to change the mechanics of your hip, and that's going to change the mechanics of your spine. Now, these things are very easy to treat if you know how to examine somebody. So obviously, we tend to find the often common pattern here is really poor hip extension that's being made up for with hip flexion and lumbar spine overuse. So it's fairly straightforward. That's a classic one too, that um, studies are showing how if you um, put an effusion or you put some fluid into a knee, that it actually decreases the quadriceps ability to contract. Now, you don't have to feel pain with that. You've got feedback into your body. So I'd say there's a, there's a place for manual therapy in these things. I'm not just an exercise professional. I hand over to manual therapists, for example, who understand that. Hey, I've got a nice little spine here for you. No, I'll put that. There we go. There's a good little spine. There we go. Now, you can see here, we've got some nice nerves going to a joint. Now, those nerves can feed back over the dysfunction, and that can have a problem with your ability to contract your musculature. You've got a stiff joint. So these things are the deeper understandings of science when it comes to rehab. Traditionally, our rehab has sort of been a bit around do this exercise, do that exercise, um, pat on the head, and now you're feeling out of pain. We have to go really deeper. We should be restoring the underlying system, the proprioception, that's what I've been doing a lot of, is not only treating the muscular system as voluntary motor control, learning how to move, but also underlyingly the reflex system, which Lord Sherrington first wrote about in about 1906. So if he wants to go back to the physiology of reflex system, which accounts for about 90% of our movement in our bodies anyway. Things like you don't think about how you walk down the street, that's happening at a reflex level. So rehab's got a lot of levels to it. And I'm loving this. This is the work that we're really currently encouraging is that rehab, when it comes to it, stability unleashes ability. The muscles closest to the spine have to contract first to stabilize before the next muscle system activates. And then the next muscle system activates. Now it's happening really fast, but your hip flexor doesn't activate before your spine stabilizes to allow it to activate. For example, everything starts from the middle. A lot of research, poor research, was done many years ago, which led everyone down the wrong track, was pulling your belly button in for your transverse abdominus, all right? And there was no idea that it was a force couple with a little muscle called multifidus. Well, in fact, it's not a force couple anyway, so that was wrong. And the thing about it is isolating muscles is dumb shit. Stability comes through 
all muscles working together like a symphony orchestra. That's the beauty of Professor McGill. He demonstrated how stabilizing the muscular system closest to the spine unleashes the ability for the rest of the body. We love this work. Yeah. And that's generally where we're going to look when we're going to rehab a strength athlete. What are we going to look at? How's your abs? Yeah, I do ab work. What do you do? I deadlift and squat. Okay, so you don't do ab work, do you? <laughs> you just aren't hurting too much at the moment. Pretty common. Yeah. So what are you doing for glutes? Oh, I squat, deadlift. Okay. But it seems like your back's doing most of the work. Now, strength is a skill. Injury is also a skill. If your pattern that you're doing, you may be working your glutes, but you not, may not be working them in the way that fits into the pattern at the problem that you're dealing with. So if you've got a problem with hip extension coming out of a, a deadlift and instead you're overextending your spine, hmm, so is a, is a squat going to be helpful as a glute exercise? Probably not because it's not getting you in the range that you're finishing in. A hip thruster, therefore, could be a good transfer. A kettlebell swing has a transfer to a deadlift. So you've got to know the exercise that transfers to the problem. That's okay. I've written a book on that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, uh, with the uh, when you're talking about injuries and there's there's you know there's there's ways ways around it and making sure because I think a lot of people don't ever feel as though um, all right, are you feeling your glutes working working this exercise? And actually, when they think about it, it's like oh no, actually, you know, it's just all in my quads or or, or whatever it may be. Um, in terms of you know how you would um, uh, especially if they've uh, a lifter has had an injury or anything like that because there's uh, like what we were chatting about at the start about some physios will be like right we're going to take you away from all the main all the main lifts and we're just going to do this rehab program whereas like what you've been chatting there about you know you can sort of like intermix it together you can still focus on some things you know just because you know your um squat might be be an issue you can still bench or do other things what's your thought process on kind of adding the um maybe rehab or activations within a, a program so that they can still focus on what they can do rather than being really restrictive and having to draw draw everything back if that makes sense totally i can give you a workout that's going to really piss you off you know i'm going to give you a whole bunch of activation work that you can do that is not as heavily loaded now the thing about activations do work there's some dumb people out there who say oh activations don't work sorry you're missing about 120 years of science right basically motor control theory you can chase it up this is all neurological tree training most people get stuck on the idea that oh we read our biomechanics books that tells us all we need to know no, it doesn't. There's motor control theory, which has been, well, since the 1906 when Sherrington first published. Then there's a scheme of, there's a whole lot of motor control theory that we use for neurological rehab, for example, with stroke patients. The science is established. So if I'm teaching you how to do a correct version of the clam, which I produced, the great lock clam, which you're basically is an external rotation and abduction of the knee and the femur, well, guess what happens? That's what you're going to do in your deadlift because that's a cue I'm about to give you. When you get locked in, pull your armpits to your ass. Okay, push your, push your knees into your forearms. I've just given you abduction, external rotation. Uh, you did that in your activation. So everything builds. We're already starting the pattern you've got a problem in. So I can lie you on the ground and make you do 100 reps a day, which is the bare minimum I would accept that you should do to have a change. Uh, we've got the, the concept, maybe it takes 10,000 reps to establish a skill. Good if you're doing 100 a day, it's going to take you 100 days to get there. Better start tonight. All right, so there's a lot of work going. You might be out of pain tomorrow. 
but it's still going to take you approximately three months to become skilled. So, hey, you just started. I always say to people, treat it like an antibiotic. When the symptoms are gone, you don't stop it, you run the course. Okay, I'll give you this series of exercises that you'll perform now. Usually for the rest of your life, I'll accept once a day for the rest of your life. After that, we'll negotiate. There's once a day until you die. Every time you train. Now the activations set up the progressions. So I can put a band around your knees, then I might get you to do some hip thrust. That will teach you abduction, external rotation, and hip extension, because that's what you've got a problem with in your lockout. Then I'll put you on your two feet and we'll do the same thing with a kettlebell swing, maybe. Okay, now let's go deadlift. Your glutes are fired up in a motor control pattern, activation transfers. And we know that. So yes, there's science behind activations transferring to task. Yeah. Shit, it's easy. Yeah. Do you think it's a it's a good way of looking at that? Because I, I do think, especially when you said there about right, do do a um a hundred hundred reps and you know uh, there's there's progression because there is that um statement that you need to earn the right to put weight on the bar. Um oh, is yeah. there a thought process that you need to earn the right to progress on the exercises? And do you think that um yeah, you might go from doing it every day to then you know once a day. Um, you know, for the for the for the rest of your life. Do you think yes. that sometimes uh, people underestimate the the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Commitment. The, the, yeah, the commitment, the dosage of how much of how much they should do, and maybe rush, try and rush uh, these exercises and progressions a little bit. Guaranteed, and they're the people who apologise to me for coming back because <laughs> they rushed and yeah. they haven't been doing their exercises for the last six months. I did them for the first year. I felt great. Uh, I didn't do them last year. Oh, what were they again? All right, there we go. Yeah, solved problem. Same, same thing happened. There's two motivators in life, pretty much pain and pleasure. All right, if you're in pain, you'll do what it takes to get out of it, generally, unless you're a bit of a weirdo. And there's pleasure. If something gives you pleasure to do, you'll tend to do it. All right, so the rehab work, ah, it takes me out of pain. All right, now I'm out of pain. It's a month later. This is really pissing me off. I have to keep doing my exercises. It's starting to, it doesn't give me pleasure. I'm no longer in pain. Okay, you're now into commitment therapy. You just got to do it. Yeah. So there's a little bit of understanding the psychology of exercise commitment. Yeah, it's a big part of it. So yeah, you've really got it there once and that's why I communicate to people. I love the gyms where I walk into where I've never been before and I see people doing the activation series that I've given somebody else or another coach has given it. Anywhere in the world, you look at it and you say, yep, they're doing their activations, they're committing. So we always say, as far as um, Sebastian and myself, when we teach, activate, mobilize, warm up, train. That's the four unnegotiable steps. Now, if you have a dysfunction that's an immobility, then we go mobility, activate, warm up, train. Prioritize the problem. Yeah. So if you've got a stiff thoracic spine, which is stopping you getting a good arch, do your, do your thoracic mobility, then do your activation, then you warm up and train. Once that's fixed, Activate, mobilize, warm up, train. There's our, our mantra. Yeah, I think that's a, that, and I think it's becoming a lot more, uh, a lot more people are, are buying into it because sometimes I think, you know, they'll, they'll do exercises and like what you said there, you know, if they, if they stop doing it or if they feel if they're out, they're out of pain and they do the exercises, they oh, well, I'm, I'm out of pain now. I, I feel as though it's fine rather than actually, you know, knowing the, the, the progress, at, uh, the progression, the progressions of, of exercises to, to, to develop, develop on that. And do you, um, just on a, on a little bit of a, of a tangent 
on that. Obviously, everyone in their head is, um, you know, right, you know, there's a set amount of time. So like, right, this is an eight week rehab program or anything like that. What's your th- sort of thought process or your opinion on, you know, setting actual time frames for things? Or is it just kind of, you know, um, uh, 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 assess and then and then add, add exercises in and just see how the how the progress because obviously every lifter, every person is going to be going to be different in how they respond to things. Yeah, very much. Everything comes down to your performance must be excellent. You must earn the right to progress. Now, that relates then to your endurance ability for the amount of repetitions we have set you. Now, for me, five reps is cardio. I hate I hate reps, okay? So 25 reps for me. Hell, I'd have to have a really good reason to have to do 25 reps, but occasionally I might. Now, i got to transfer that to people who are perhaps a little bit like me that they need to do 25 reps. Yeah, you've got to be able to communicate really effectively with a person who's not always that happy to do the higher stuff, but the activations are like that. Uh, Sport-wise, if you've got a rugby athlete, I don't think doing max deadlifts really carries over to the requirements of the sport they're getting paid for. I'm looking at strength endurance to make them better athletes. Think about an athlete like that. They're uh, running a fair bit. Yeah, they're going to be pushing it two, with two feet on the ground in a symmetrical position, not that often. Probably sled pushing is going to give them a bit more benefit that they can play into. So I look to what can I do that performs the same task that they're going to take onto a field, for example. Now, if you've got a powerlifter, fantastic. I don't have to make you do weird shit like Bulgarian split squats, which may be the worst exercise to load in the world. All right. <laughs> okay, basically the Bulgarian split squat, you've got two halves of the... The pelvis there, they're moving in different directions. And you've got some woman who's had a bit of pelvic instability and you're going to make her do a Bulgarian split squat and put a bit of weight on her back. You reckon she's not going to have a nicely torsioned sacroiliac joint? You bet. <laughs> okay. Is, is the reason you're giving to the person actually going to give them enough benefit towards the cost? Cost to benefit ratio. What is that person doing in life that needs to go into that position? Why did they come to you? So it's a bit of an overprescribed exercise, for example, especially loaded. So that's one, of, that's one of the only exercises I'll say, you better have a good reason to do it. But if you've got a good reason, okay, just give me that to me. I don't think there's ever such thing as a bad exercise. The rule is the right exercise for the right person for the right reason at the right time, or the wrong exercise for the wrong person for the wrong reason at the wrong time. Yeah. That's prescription of exercise. It's a science. It's a branch of medical science. Yeah. It's a, anytime I think always anytime it comes to it comes to exercises, it's um, you know you've got a toolkit there and you know you've got a hammer or a or a, or a screwdriver or whatever and you know it's the it's the right tool for the for the right job and you know especially the 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 reason behind it you know especially when we're talking about um, you know activations that other people might have uh, different exercises or if you're wanting to you know on the completely other end of the spectrum if you're wanting to you know build muscle and someone responds really well to a goblet squat as opposed to a, a back squat or, or anything like that you're going to use going to use the right tool for the for, for the right person um obviously we we chatted there a little bit about 
you know, common in, common injuries and um, where people can go wrong and working muscles around that. And we touched on it a little bit at, at, at the start, but um, again, another kind of uh, misconception is obviously their um, uh, how people feel about their spine and their and their back. So for a lot of people, uh-huh. it'll be like you know, deadlift can get a little bit heavy and feel like, oh, hang on, my 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 back's aching a, a little bit there, or you know, even in, Good. in, Stop in that shit the, technique right now. Stop that <laughs> yeah. Technique, right? And back feeling it, and and, and as well in, in 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 squat as well, people can feel about it. So what what's kind of you know your thought process on when people start feeling those niggles in in, in the back and everything? Well, it depends. There's a reasonably good reason why you perhaps should feel it in your back. Those muscles are working. Is that bad? No, hell, it's a good idea. They're working. It all works within the context of what the what the situation is. If you've got a problem, person who hasn't really got a had a problem in that area, and you're just feeling like your those muscles are working, that's probably pretty much it. If you've got a person who has had a repeated problem and they're feeling the same problem occur, you've now found where their load and technique tolerance probably exists. That's where their technique's going to fall apart. So that's pretty much what we're going to look at when you feel it. Now, the thing about pain is pain is so freaking subjective, okay? Now, I can remember Andre Milanichev being out here a few years ago for a great contest. Andre comes out 250 kilos on the bench. Andre missed it. Gets up. All the other guys come out and do their bench. Okay, second attempt, 250. Andre gets it. Well done. Okay. I can't remember whether he went for 260 after. Okay, last deadlift of the day to win the big comp. Andre has to deadlift 400 kilos, and he does. Uh, Guess what? Andre actually tore his tricep on that first bench, by the way. Right. Now, how many people do you know are going to tear their freaking tricep so it's black and blue the next day? come out 10 minutes later and do that bench successfully and then pull a 400 kilo deadlift off the floor. (laughs) Did he feel pain? I don't know if he did. Would you and I feel pain? I know I would. (laughs) Pain is the construct of inputs. This is the interesting thing is pain and disability is not proportional to injury. On an MRI scan, you can have the most shit scan I've seen. One of the classics was the guy who came into me with a great spine fracture and a big piece of disc material hanging out. He turned around me and said to me, yeah, I'm competing in the world championships in four weeks. No, it wasn't. Can I? It was okay. Can you get me there? All right. Yeah. yeah it's, it's 20 years later. He's still lifting. Now he went over and competed with that spinal fracture, with that disc bulge. He didn't break too many world records, but he did all right. Now, most other people would be in a significantly more traumatized state. The very best spine MRI I ever saw was a guy who was stuck in bed for two weeks with an intractable pain. Oh, well, the story, of course, was that someone had knocked off all the money in his business, his business partner. He was losing his house and his wife was leaving. And he sat down the dunny and I think stress got to him and he couldn't handle another little thing. Pain is very much subjective and related to a lot of inputs. Now, my job is to let you know when it's not really catastrophic. Okay, I've got people who don't have discs left. They blew them up like myself, bone on bone. There is no disc in there anymore. We haven't got a degenerative disc disease. We haven't got a disc at all. Zero pain. Deadlift 300 kilos. Not a problem. Now, it's not proportional to what you find on the scan. Often people come in, they say to me, first thing up, I've got a scoliosis. Oh, well, you should say, that's nice. What do you feed it? All right. It's not 
overly relevant to most people. So there's no relationship between those dysfunctions. Usain Bolt has a huge scoliosis. He's got one leg that's more two centimetres longer than the other. Hey, you want to change it? Fuck no. He's the fastest guy on earth. He runs 60% of the time longer on one leg and 40% the other. Dysfunctions make him the fastest guy on earth. So these are important things. We don't treat diagnosis. We treat problems. What's your problem? So that's often what I'll say. The first thing is, why have you come to see me? People say, I've got a disbalance. I say, no, that's not your problem. That's a diagnosis. What's your problem? Ah, I got back pain when I lock out a deadlift. I know your problem. That's how we have to treat things. Yeah. Do you think, because especially there, obviously mentioning, uh, you know, dysfunction and, and scoliosis, do you think, because I mean, especially the, the the more that I've learned and followed, you know, guys such as yourself to, to learn a little bit more of, you know, what the problem is and, and looking, a little, looking a little bit deeper, do you think that's where people get a little bit, um, you know, worried and think it's a lot more serious just by the phrases of, you know, dysfunction and scoliosis and these terms that are used? So part of the thing was about the, the diagnosis of, yeah. um, say, having a disc bulge. Well, your local doctor, he's unlikely to be very experienced with these things. So he's going to look at it and equate it with pain. But okay, that's not his specialty in life. Local doctor's got a lot of things to do. So we can't blame them for shit being underpowered in that area of expertise. But there's professionals out there who prey upon you, who will pull your x-rays up and try and show you dysfunctions. Now, you've never done a class in freaking radiology and some guy in a white coat with a doctor's badge comes up to you and says, oh, you've got this, you've got that. And you look at it and go, that guy is selling you. He's absolutely snake charming. You know, the fact is we know you can't predict dysfunction from an X-ray. You know you can't predict pain for an MRI. So the people who are doing that to you, they're in it for business. They're not in it for health. So I'm really against that model where people try and say there's prediction. There isn't. All right, there's a lot we can do to make people independent and empowered to run their own lives. So a disbalance certainly isn't forever. You are not your scan diagnosis. And you're professional. Anyone who comes in with, me with a bunch of scans, the first thing I do is I tell them to put them outside somewhere. I want to talk to you before I see your scans. And often we don't even get to the scans because it takes about you know, 10 minutes of talking, a couple of exams, and I, yeah, your problem's pretty straightforward. Human beings are, although complex mentally, we're not that complex physically really to understand. People who try and make rehab complicated, I think they don't understand it. Basically, there's three, three letters you need to know, P, A, and N, or M if you want. Passive, passive tissues, discs, bones, ligaments, things you cannot contract. A, active, active things you can contract, muscles, M or N. The movement pattern, you put them together. If you've got a crap movement pattern, with a weakness in the active muscular system, you'll injure the passive system. There you are. You have now got the three letters that will help you solve pretty much any orthopedic problem as far as our sport goes. Understand the passive in tissue injured because of what in, in which area of the active system and what's the movement pattern. Fix those up. You should, and that's my toolkit. Yeah. 
Yeah, it kind of it's it's kind of come round, you know, a full circle, especially when we've when we've been chatting about, you know, with the uh, the the diagnosis and you know mentioning dysfunctions and actually, you know, maybe going and getting a scan straight away. And you know, at the start when we were talking about rest, that you know sometimes actually yes, you know, go for a scan and all that and, and all that sort of stuff. But speaking to professionals such as yourself to actually realise that you know there is a way around it, and it's not just a case of right. You know, I was deadly. I've been, you know, training for 10 years and then all of a sudden I get an injury, go, go to it, go get a scan. And then that's it. Right. That's my, that's my lifting over. You know, there is, yeah, it might take, it might take time. But there is ways. There is there is ways around it. Um, so quite quite a lot of uh, topics and a, a few tangents thrown in there. But the the last question I like to ask about everything that we've chatted about there for everyone listening, what would be your take home points or words of wisdom? Do the basics. The best athletes in the world do the most boring shit better and more often than you do. Commit to the basics. Okay, there it is. You commit to the basics. Commit to your activations. Commit to your warm-up. Commit to your mobility. I think your training is going to be pretty damn good. Yeah. That's the solution to it. Yeah, yeah Steve, it's a pretty... It is not as complicated as a lot of people try and make it. Sure, discs, you know, we can talk about the chemistry and biochemistry and stuff, but, hey, I know how they work. We all know how they work. A lot of universities seem to deny how they work. <laughs> okay, the structure's been examined since the 1930s. Mixter and Barr, the first real study on disc injury. Okay, we've now known for about, mm, we're into 90 years. Disc theory is like the theory of evolution, okay? It's a fact. And so is how all the other joints move. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a good way to finish on, especially when we were chatting there about, you know, you can do these activations and, and do this prep work, um, but, you know, actually committing to it, which I think, yeah, is a, is is what sometimes people forget. You know, you don't just do it for this block of training and then, oh, actually, I'm fine now, you know, actually committing to it, which I think is, um, yeah, you know, a good way, a good way to look at it. Um, and if you yeah. want one muscle group, one muscle group to really train, make sure you train your ass. <laughs> okay, your tenor knows people over 40 lose their ass more than anything else. If you get strong glutes, you're probably going to help yourself really prevent a lot of problems in life. Yeah, I'm so a, 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 right? a, a, a 100%. And uh, yeah, I should just have that playing. Uh, yeah, you, um, you saying that phrase just on loop, on loop around, around the gym. I know sometimes with the, uh, I know. The UK is in lockdown uh, at the minute now, but you know gyms will be uh, op opening um, in the in the next month or so. But I know when the uh, when the powerlifting and the uh, club that I run was was going, and yeah, men, women don't care who they are, right? You're gonna do some, you're gonna do some glute activations. What, whoa, what do you mean? Why is it booty building, right? Well, no, actually, you know, everyone needs, especially for strength, you need, you know, you, you know, need big strong glutes. Um, yeah, quite a lot of uh, topics covered there, but thanks a lot for taking the time to chat with me, Andrew. Really, really, you know, enjoy picking your brains and, you know, chatting about all things training. But for everyone listening who, you know, might have any questions about what we've chatted about today or want to see the content that you put out there or reach you, where can people find you? Best way is via Instagram anyway, because I'm pretty busy on other things. There's a couple of web builds at the moment. But yes, Andrew underscore lock underscore strength. Message me there. I will answer somewhere within the following six months if you're lucky. <laughs> If you want me to really answer, remind me every single day because I probably will miss you.
Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, 100% for everyone listening in, check out the work that, that, that Andrew is doing and the content they're putting out. You know, it is, it is really, really helpful. And as well, you know, it's practical and it, it, it's useful for, you know, if you're involved in, in, in strength training, you know, it's only going to make you um, a, a better, robust lifter. So thanks a lot for yeah. taking the time to chat with me. Thanks a lot to everyone I can't listening. Wait to see you. We can't wait to get over to the UK as soon as they can let us. As Sebastian, myself, cannot wait to get out. That's it. I'll be I'll be there. I'll be at airport welcoming welcoming yeah welcoming you in. Um yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks to everyone listening and I'll see you all next week. Stay strong. <laughs>